Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello there. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. So I've got another bonus episode for you today geared toward the new grad nurse, and it's with my nurse bestie, Steph, who you heard from recently. So let's dive in. All right. So we had Steph on last week on the podcast talking about... The number one mistake that new grads make, and if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen. The mistake is not what you're thinking because you're probably thinking it's what I was thinking. It's something totally different, and it's so valuable and amazing, the things that Steph talks about. Well, she's here again today to talk about a really interesting concept, and what I love about this concept is not only the way she frames it, because it's absolutely brilliant, but it also gives voice and definition and clarity to things that new grad nurses face. And when we have clarity around things that are troubling us, we get more power over them, right? So we're going to talk about something called nurse shock with my nurse bestie, Steph. So Steph, tell us real quick in one sentence who you are, and then I'm going to I'm gonna ask you some stuff about nurse shock. Good morning, Nurse Mo. It's so good to be here again. Thank you for having me. I am a nursing professor. I am a former ICU nurse. I also work uh, in medical affairs for a critical care product, writing a lot of just research and literature around uh, sepsis, fluid management, hemodynamics. So I'm an educator is essentially what I do for a living. And that's how we met. For those of you who don't know, that is how Steph and I met. Um, in the she, ICU many years ago. In yes. the ICU many years ago, she taught me how to use a really nifty contraption. Yes. And it was a day that I will never, ever, ever forget, which we should talk I'm, about sometime because that was I fascinating. Agree. <laughs> that was. It was incredible. You were, your day was already so busy. And what I remember about you was that you were utterly unflappable. You were unruffleable. And I just was instantly taken with you. And you still wanted to do more advanced hemodynamics on your patient who was totally crashing and it just cemented our relationship forever. It was awesome. Yes, it did. And I was not unflappable or whatever word you said. I just have a really good poker face. I wish I had your nurse face. face. Oh my gosh. I've worked on it for many years. Well, Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Steph, what is nurse shock. What does that term mean? Where did that term come from? Yes. Well, the term comes from me as I was trying to make sense of the transition I was going 
through at the time. Uh, Originally, I heard the term reality shock by nursing researcher and professor Marlene Kramer. uh, Well, read, I should say. Um, She talked about this back in actually 1974. Um, The idea is that there is such a large gap from books to bedside, essentially, right? There's the giant gap between knowing about lab values and then actually applying them in the clinical setting when you're looking at the full clinical picture of your patient at the bedside. And so there's this transition that nurse, new nurses go through, that new grads go through. Um, and so the, the term shock, reality shock, was originally coined by her. But I realized that there were different types of shock that I felt I was experiencing. And then as I began to progressed through my nursing career and started working with new grads and started teaching NCLEX prep courses. And now I'm teaching at a university and now I'm mentoring new grads, realized that there was actually a way that I could define the different types of shock as using the the metaphor of all the types of shock we see in the human body. And it really helps in my opinion, break it down so that we know how to treat it and also how to prevent it from happening in the first place. Well, all right. That sounds mega cool. And I can't (laughs) wait to dive into it. So let's dive into the first one. Tell us what that type of shock is and what it means. And maybe like a little, maybe some little tips that someone could do to mitigate that. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So the we've, we're going to go through the different types of shock. Hypovolemic shock is the first one. We're going to talk about cardiogenic shock, neurogenic shock, and then distributive shock, which primarily we're going to focus on septic shock. So that's kind of where we're going. But hypovolemic shock is the very first one. And we know this physiologically in our patient means there's some kind of volume depletion. And so in the human body, hypovolemic shock occurs as a result of massive volume loss, right? So mm-hmm. volume loss as a new nurse then would look like uh, and feel like continuously pouring out without adequate replacement back in. So obviously this is not meant to be taken literally. It's a metaphor, but I think that because I'm such a literal person, I can actually imagine the patient who's bleeding out or the patient who um, is in septic shock or, you know, they've got this, they've got some kind of a volume loss. They're severely dehydrated, right? When we're talking about literal dehydration or emotional dehydration, whether we're talking about a physical inability to rest or sleep or an emotional trauma, lack of enough volume results in organ failure and tissue hypoperfusion in pathophysiologically in our bodies. But it, I think it also happens to us physically. We can feel it if we're emotionally dehydrated. So that's where the metaphor comes from. Okay. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And I can like, I can picture like a, like you said, you can picture it happening in a patient and it's really easy to transition that over and picture it happening in picture it happening in your self. And as a new grad, it is so much about do, 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 put yourself out there, take risks, challenge yourself, try new things. The job is really hard. And it's a lot of outpouring and inner energetically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually in all the ways. And if you don't fill that back up you're on, you're on a path and it's, it's, it's not a sustainable one. Correct. And so, and I think this, this can emotional dehydration or emotional tissue hypoperfusion or feeling volume depleted might look a little different for every single person, but some keys to kind of clue you in, we're always looking for the clues, the clinical clues in our patients, right. To, to look, and then we take it back and we 
We assess it in the, within the full clinical picture. For ourselves, we can do the same thing by being cultivating self-awareness as soon as possible. And I don't always get there right away. Sometimes it takes me a minute to feel like, oh gosh, my heart is racing, or I feel really uh, anxious, or I feel nervous in my body, or I feel a lot of... Um, anxious excitement, what, what is actually going on? Those are the ways that can start for me, or I just feel plain exhausted. I'm waking up a lot in the middle of the night, or these are things that I've also heard people say to me, they're having maybe bad dreams. They can't stay asleep. Their thoughts are just running at night, or they're working a bunch of shifts in a row. And they're not actually because they're that let's face it. When we graduate from nursing school, we're Poor. And so we're yeah. trying to like fill the the the, the financial <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that that's actually one of the things I tell my new grads is please don't work extra for the first year. And some of them listen and some of them don't. But there's a reason for that. And that is because of the concern that I have for volume depletion for them. And so first you have to really know which type of shock you're in in order to treat it. This is true for both our patients and ourselves. So if you feel physically depleted, you are physically depleted. Don't gaslight yourself and try to talk yourself out of it. And, you know, it doesn't actually work to say, suck it up or toughen up or no, that's not a thing. You wouldn't, that's not a thing. You have to actually acknowledge what's going on. And then you also have to know what's going to refill you and what's going to fill your tank back up. For me, this looks like getting outside. There is something about being by water, being in nature that fills my cup up so fast. And I actually ran a little experiment in my own life. You're going to laugh. I'm, I'm such a nerd, but I wanted to know of the list of things that actually refilled my tank, which one filled my tank the fastest and the, and the, and the most completely. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and I'm really, I, I'm actually really intrigued by your little experiment. Okay, yes. I, I put some things on there, like go, I love going to the movies by myself. I love, um, curling up with a good book. I love being outside, going on a hike. I love journaling, um, getting a glass of wine with a friend. I kind of put a whole bunch of different things on the list. And what I realized was the thing that actually made me feel the most replete was being outside. Nice. And if I was outside having a good conversation with a friend, all the better, but it also worked if I was just alone. In fact, I'm just back after a week in the woods in a Airstream trailer. And yes, I was working, but I don't, I, don't, I didn't see it as work because I had so much beautiful nature around me. So that's one way that I fill myself back up. And obviously, Nurse Mo, it's going to vary for each person. Potentially, maybe running five miles fills them up, right. you know? But sometimes for me, you're going to laugh. Organizing something fills my cup, like clearing out my closet or tackling a kitchen cabinet. I know it's super weird. No, it's not. I'm the same way because putting order to something externally. I love order. Yes. If I feel out of order internally, sometimes is a way that I can feel like I can. It's a healthy way to control my environment. I'm not trying to control another person (laughs) or tell someone else what to do. But um, my, you know, my pantry looks amazing. So that is those are ways that first you have to identify, wow, I feel really depleted. I would prefer that we not get to the point of an actual emotional shock state in the beginning, but honestly, it does happen. And we don't want to shame ourselves or shit on ourselves or anything like that. We just want to be aware and just then admit, you know, I'm feeling really depleted. If you're an introvert, like my friend, uh, her husband is an extrovert and they do a lot of things. Sometimes she'll have to say, Hey honey, I actually need 
an evening to, you know, to myself to recover without having people over. And that's just one of the things that she needs is to be curled up with a good book to recover. Like you have to kind of know yourself and know like what it is for you. Exactly. You mentioned earlier, not sleeping well, waking up with random thoughts. What is one easy thing that someone can do to maybe prevent that from happening? Oh, this is so good. And I, that's such a good question because this happens all the time, especially for nurses, because we get home and we're like, oh my gosh, did I chart the output out of my drain? Or did I remember to say this in report? Um, and, or we just think we forgot something or, you know, and, or this can be just, I guess, general in life, but I'm very nursey focused. So one of the things you can do before bed, and I do this very often, is called a brain dump. This is actually scientifically backed. I started doing this. And then years later, I actually read it in a Mel Robbins book. And I was like, oh, look at that. I stumbled on something that has now been validated by this motivational speaker slash life coach. You know, she's incredible. I love, I love Mel Robbins stuff. Can't recommend her stuff enough, but you basically get a blank sheet of paper and I do it in the kitchen because it, it's not in my bedroom. I want my bedroom to be the place where I'm sleeping. And so I will write every single thing on the white sheet of paper that I am thinking about. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what it is. If it's, I forgot the, you know, I for I think I forgot to chart my urine output, which we actually have, you and I have a trick for that, uh, for how to know what, what you did on your shift and what you didn't do, which we'll talk about actually in our new grad program, if that's okay to say. Um, but I will write everything out that's in my mind and I will leave it in the kitchen and then I can come back to it in the morning. You can leave a notepad by your bed at night if you feel like that's something you need to do, but it's been my personal experience when I've been coaching people that if they take the time to actually brain dump everything after their shift, they do sleep better. It's, I it's love a, that. Yeah. It's like a science based, based hack. So that's one of the things that we can do. Okay. I love that. And it's easy and it takes five minutes. Yes. And then it's out of, it's not circling around in your head anymore. It's safe. It's on a piece of paper. It's there. Yeah. I love that. I do that all the time when things get really busy for me because I'll start having weird dreams. My my stress dream is uh, always the same. I'm always on an airplane going somewhere. I don't know where. And there's like an issue with the plane. <laughs> that oh, is my that stress is dream. That is a stress dream. <laughs> and so then I know there's too much on my mind. And I so I write it down. And sometimes my brain dump is just the simple, how am I going to get all this stuff done? Yes, exactly. And, and then I, I'm like, okay. And that's, and that's one of the things that helps me too, whether it's, oh my gosh, I need to remember to get a birthday present for my friend or, you know, right. different things like that. Um, and I, I also want to say just before we move on to cardiogenic shock, that obviously treatment for hypovolemic shock is emotional. Hypovolemic shock is going to include replacing the volume that was lost, but we also need to, um, remember that we need to stop the bleeding. <laughs> and that is, that is really important. Yes. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you're consistently Henry Cloud, one of my favorite authors who writes about boundaries and all these other sorts of interpersonal relational things says, do you have problems or do you have patterns? And I don't actually have a lot of problems in my life, but sometimes I can identify a pattern. And usually my pattern is overworking or putting too much on my plate. 
And that <laughs> I see you nodding your head. I'm nodding. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, so if I see a pattern of me doing that, then I have to get really in tune with myself and say, Hey, Stephanie, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you overscheduling? And then stop the bleeding. In other words, start saying no, see what I can delegate, you know, that kind of a thing. And then we also want to prevent future losses. And so by being aware of our patterns, we can prevent a future loss, hopefully, uh, in the sense of, you know what? No, I'm not going to go in when they call. And that's really hard to say no um, when your unit is short staffed, but I'm not going to put myself down for four shifts a week. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm just going to work my three. And the last thing I'll say about that is that when I did start to feel burned out, I actually worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we were a self-scheduling unit. And so for a while, I just know I wouldn't always get the same group back, but you know what? It was better for me to just work a shift, yeah. take a rest, work a shift and take a rest and then have two days off. And I did that for about six months. And I have to tell you that that did a world of good for me and my body. Yeah. There is something about going, in, especially when you're, you're kind of on that depleted end to go into work, knowing it's just that day. Yes. Going into work. Cause what I did, you know, and I talk about this on my podcast about how severely burned out I got in the ICU. Um, and towards the end of my time in the ICU, you know, I, I clustered my shifts to three in a row because I was in graduate school. I was running my business 60 hours a week in graduate school, working full time. It was, my cup was super empty stuff. Yeah. And I would drive into work on my first day of three in tears because yeah. I, was th- I would think how... How am I going to do three long 12-hour shifts in the ICU, which is called intensive so care intense. for a reason. Yeah. It's intense. It's very intense. And yeah, so knowing you've just got the, a onesie, I call it, is sometimes just really, really good tip. Okay. Thank you. That was amazing. So much good stuff there. Yes. You mentioned cardiogenic shock. I can't wait to hear this metaphor. Yes. So essentially, I just want to say your heart matters. Your heart matters. And so when we're looking at hemodynamics, we assess volume vessels and pump, right? We need, we just talked about um, the volume inside of our vessels. We need that to circulate for our life. And obviously I'm carrying this metaphor through now talking about the life force inside of us, which is our heart. And yes, physiologically, we need it to pump. We need it to beat. um, And we also need to guard our hearts and uh, protect it. And so cardiogenic shock, in this sense with when it's um, an emotional uh, state is realizing that we're caring for people at their most vulnerable moments. Um, But we often fail to recognize that we also need to process what we are seeing and what we're feeling. And, and secondary trauma is real. This is not something that's often talked about in the world of nursing. It's just now starting to get traction, especially after COVID, where we realized that what we were actually witnessing was traumatizing us. And one of the ways you can mitigate the consequences of that early on is to begin um, processing it in a healthy way. I recommend having, if this is just my personal opinion, but I recommend having a counselor. Um, I like better help is a great online option. Um, but I have a counselor and that for me to have a safe HIPAA uh, compliant place where I'm able confidentially to share about coding the same patient three times or the wife wailing in the corner. I mean, I had the same dream about a patient when I was working in the ICU for, for like a year 
before I realized I needed to leave just a horrific, horrific situation that, um, really, you know, there was no rhyme or reason to why that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me, but it was, it really traumatized me. And yes, the person was younger. And it, you know, I think that age sometimes can factor in, but sometimes not, it just depends on the situation. So we, we hear a lot that metaphor of like, put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others, right? Every flight attendant in the world is going to say that. And and we like to talk about that um, in when people talk about self-care, but I, I find it to be very vague. I don't really know what that means. And when someone says guard your heart or put on your own oxygen mask, I am just like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? And so one of the things that, and I could talk about this forever, and, and so I'll keep it brief, but one of the things that really helps me is to remember, this is this is their emergency. This is their story. This is their path. My path um, is not is to help and to assist and to do the best I can. And my best is good enough. And we, we can't quote unquote, save everybody. I, in, a, in other words, what I'm trying to say is don't take on the emergency and the trauma that your patient is going through. It is not your emergency that they're in a wicked rhythm. It is not your emergency that they're hypotensive or that they are coding your, this is a job. And I think nurses often take on this, this professional identity in a way where you can't tell where you begin and end, but mm-hmm. guarding your heart is really, really about maintaining a boundary and reminding yourself, you can't help them if, if you're falling apart. And then later on, make sure you metabolize your shift, make sure that you're processing your shift so that you can actually continue to do what you're doing. And again, this is newer in the field of nursing. We're getting more tools and resources all the time. We're not going to have time today to talk about burnout, but heart failure is essentially where this would go, right? Got it. Okay. I love that. So finding some way to get counseling, even if it's just once a month with yep. with an app like that, which is very accessible for for just about anybody. Yes. And then in the past, just I know you want to move on, but I just want you to talk about um, the yeses and nos. The yeses and nos. Yeah. So I had heard, and uh, I'm um, trying to remember where I heard this, but you want to speed up your nose and slow down your yeses. I love that. I love and, that. Yes. And I I am kind of fanatical about credit. So I'm sorry I'm blanking on where I first heard that. But that's I, okay. You can find it later and we'll put it in the okay. we'll put it in the episode notes for right. anybody who who wants to go find it. Yes. But I remember when I heard that realizing that I actually had it backward and I was speeding. I, I was really, really quick with my yes and really, really hesitant to say no because I wanted to be all things to all people. And I'm and huge. nurses are yeah. Often people pleasers. Yes, we are. And we can struggle very, very much with codependency, which is a whole other topic. And so, um, which my definition of codependency is doing something for someone else that they can do for themselves. And so I'm also a two on the Enneagram. I'm, I'm kind of big into Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and personality things that help me have insight into myself, not, not to over-identify with anything, but just to get insight into mm-hmm. myself. And I'm a two, I'm a helper on the Enneagram. And so I love helping people. That's one of the reasons I'm a nurse. But if I am not careful, I will say yes to everyone but myself. And I have learned as time has gone on that actually when I say yes to myself first, and and this looks like uh, turning down 
you know, in a last minute invite, even sometimes to go hang out with my friends, if, if it's not going to fit for me, mm-hmm. um, setting boundaries around my schedule, often it looks like saying no at work. I just said no at work to a really big deal project. And it was pretty shocking to me and the team, but I realized it was actually not my problem to solve and that it would really overwhelm me to spend my summer trying to fix this other problem that, Mm -hmm. that I knew I did not have the bandwidth to solve. Yeah. And I think you can also be a a yes sayer and a no sayer emotionally, Mm -hmm. like setting those boundaries. I'm going to say no to getting caught up in this family's drama mm. and say yes to focusing on advocating for my patient. Absolutely. And because I'm telling you right now, getting caught up in family drama will <laughs> completely derail your entire shift. Well, and that's when we also need to reach for our resources and call the yes. chaplain. Call or- the chaplain, call okay, the social right. worker. That's right. Or the charge or someone else. And that's part of also just being an emotionally intelligent nurse is not the best nurses know their resources yeah. and they use them. They use them. They use them. One of the things about your heart is that we, we don't want you to harden your heart. We do want you to protect it, but we don't want it to become hard and, and for us to lose our empathy and compassion, but we will get there. We will get a hard heart if, if we don't protect it in the first place. So going back to the idea that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Okay. That's what okay, I, I love that. Okay, yes. All right, neurogenic shock. What is that about? So I talk about neurogenic shock in the sense when we think about neurogenic shock, we want to think about brain and spine coherence. And so the first thing I want to say about this is that obviously a lot of neurogenic shock comes when we have a spinal cord injury. So the first thing I'll say is it's okay to be a beginner and still have a backbone. And this is really, really important because we sometimes, I think, can encounter nurses who have exceptionally strong personalities and may not have the best delivery when they are saying things or asking for things or sometimes even outright ordering you around. And what I've seen with my new grads is they're they're very hesitant to speak up in the beginning when they're being treated poorly. And I don't want them to set a precedent for being walked all over or uh, being mistreated or being bullied. Uh, I've seen some things that have been actually pretty frustrating for me just in terms of, you know, the way new, new grads are treated, but also all nurses, we all know the phrase nurses eat their young. And so there is a lot we can talk about uh, with incivility and other things, but I just want you to know it's okay to be a beginner and still have a backbone. And in order to know um, let's just talk really quick about how to address some just super practical. I want you guys to understand the difference between wisdom, which is knowledge. That's the what and discernment, which is the when. So the w- wisdom is knowing what to do. Like, what would I say? And then mm-hmm. the discernment at work, or I guess in your personal life too, is knowing when to say it. So just a few ground rules. We never have conversations with our coworkers in front of our patients. We manage up, right? The managing up yep. is even if you don't like the oncoming nurse or whatever personally, you can say, oh, you're going to be in such great hands tonight. Right? I always say that you're going to be in such good hands with Patty. That's right. That's right. an amazing nurse. That's right. <laughs> because yep. we, we want to maintain that professionalism, which can admittedly be very hard to do. We also don't want to have knockdown, drag out interpersonal professional conversations at the nurse's station. We want to avoid gossip, right? Yep. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that works really well is to, is to just ask someone, 
a, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute, you know, in the break room or in, in the supply closet, like our supply closet was huge. You know, we had this giant room. And so sometimes it, it, we can just pull it off the floor or we can maybe talk after work, even if you're tired. But the idea is that there is a time and a place to have these conversations and then just right. be, being direct and kind. Hey, it seems like uh, earlier today, it felt like you might have been frustrated with me, or maybe you had a problem with me and I just want to check in and make sure we're okay. Was there something I did to offend you or, you know, whatever, and, and try to be not defensive with your dialogue. This can be really hard to, to do. Um, and there's, there's a lot of coaching that can go into crucial conversations. That's actually a really great book if you had time to read it, but I, I just want you to know that there is a time and a place, but I do want you to have a backbone. And so addressing things as soon as they happen, as soon as appropriate, is one of the really critical pieces that I've seen um, that help people have success long-term in a unit. You make it sound so easy. No, <laughs> but it is dif- it's <laughs> difficult to do in practice when you're not used to it. I think doing it on the regular probably makes it seem so much more organic and easier to do. But it's something that I struggled with for a really long time because, I don't know, it was scary when I was Oh, small. it is scary. It's so hard. Yeah. And you know what? I think when we know we're already loved, that's one of the things I have to remind myself is that I am loved and that I am I am worthy and I am valuable as a human being. And so are they, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, like and that, that kind of inherent sense of, of worthiness and identity and knowing that is like, no, I'm, I'm worth, I'm worth working in a safe environment. And so are they. And so we want to create that culture of safety. And I still struggle with this. I'm so much better. I actually hired uh, a coach specifically at one point in my career to help me with my communication. And so it, I'm rattling things off quickly, but like you said, this does take time and practice. And that's why I always, always, always recommend that you have a mentor. Um, I have a mentor right now in my life. Um, and I also have a coach and I mean, there, I believe in support, 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 support. And that is how I think we're meant to, to do life together for sure. Yeah, definitely a hundred percent. Okay. What's next? What's the next kind of shock stuff? All right. Uh, let's talk about distributive. Think, shock. Is, this our, is this our last one, right? Our last one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Distributive I, shock. Yes. And so septic shock in, in the, actual clinical setting, right, is when we've got an infection, okay? Or we can also say there's something toxic going on and then it creates sort of a systemic problem. So distributive shock um, is when we are in a situation where there might be an element of toxicity or unhealthiness or, and this could be, in, I guess, in, in your home life, it could be Primarily, I feel like I see it in nursing units where maybe there's a mean girl or a nurse bully, which I call nully. Uh, there's a nully um, because I'm trying to make it a little bit lighter. Yeah. Um, but I so distributive shock can be like a toxic element. It can also just be complete, utter and total systemic overwhelm like um you're drowning and you don't even know how to save yourself. And now you're, you're six months out and now you're being asked to precept somebody else and you're not even sure how to, you yeah. you know, there's, it's just, that's the reality. Of it's kind like of, an inflammatory cascade that just exactly. circles around and around and around. Yes. Yes. And so one of the things that I want you to just be aware of is hopefully you've got a supportive manager. You can set up some crucial conversations. You can ask for help one-on-one. I find that ignoring the problem will just make it worse. 
And so yeah. we, we don't want to do that in our patients, but we also don't want to do that when, when we are starting to notice the signs and symptoms of dis-ease in our bodies, that's when we need to start having some conversations. I recommend first, obviously, processing maybe with someone outside your unit. Um, but I want you to just be aware that the you're not crazy is I I've mm -hmm. talked to my new grads a lot. And I was like, Hey buddy, you're not crazy. If you felt that there was a tone there or someone was condescending or that doctor full on yelled at you, that was real. That happened because sometimes I feel like they're, they're like, well, maybe they didn't really, you know, mean it or, and I'm like, well, maybe, but if you try to tell yourself, if you try to talk yourself out of the reality of what was happening, that's not going to help mm -hmm. you find this true source of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know the real source, what's going on, we can't actually treat it. So uh, Mean Girls is not just a movie, okay? And if you work with a Regina George, you're going to have to identify that quickly. Um, and well, I mean, it might take a minute and then try to find a way uh, through that, through the help, hopefully with a management and support and that kind of a thing, because we want to try to uh, neutralize those situations. Nursing is hard enough if, you know, we want, we want to make sure we're all working in a supportive environment. Um, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the Regina Georges deserve support too. Um, but sometimes that might look like we have um, boundaries and, and other kinds of crucial conversations. And I've always needed support to do that. Um, and I want to make sure you guys just know that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get support in those situations. Okay. I love that. I love that. Okay. Anything else we want to add about nurse shock before we wrap up this awesome conversation? You know, I would just say that nurse, any kind of nurse shock, when you're looking at systemically how you're feeling, takes a lot of self-awareness. And self-awareness begins with trying to um, give yourself permission to think things and feel things. It also requires you create a little bit of margin mm -hmm. to have some self-reflection. I was going to say, you kind of need to pause a moment. Yes. And that can be hard to do when you're on this adrenaline nonstop cycle with this really stressful role of being a new nurse. So pausing, yes. reflecting, pausing. Yes. letting yourself feel the feels, think the thinks. Yes, you aren't going to break. It's going to be okay. Let it just let the wave come. Let it crash over you. Feel your feelings. Cry. Journaling is a really, really, really powerful science-backed hack to just get it all out on the page and look, look, you know, look for support. Talk, you know, phone a friend. That kind of a thing. Reach for a lifeline, but just don't ignore it. I think that that's muscling through is really not what I want you guys to do. I, I want you to acknowledge it. The Robert Frost says the best way out is through. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. And so I, I think that we want to prevent it, but we also need to live in reality. We're going to be, there are going to be times we're depleted, but you have to really know what those signs and symptoms are for you. So create that space to have some regular reflection um, and regular time to rest and, and then you'll be able to start making a game plan of how to care for yourself the best. I love it. Okay, so you've talked a lot about the importance of having mentors and people that you can rely on and go to for wisdom and 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 all the things, filling up the the hypovolemic situation and all of that. So, let's talk just real quick and tell people about the project that we're working on right now, staff. Oh my gosh. Because we're so excited about it and I think on the date this releases, 
will actually be opening enrollment within about a week, I think, from now. I believe so. If it's not on this day, it's like within a week. It's very, very soon. So what Steph and I are working on is like this. I think we've been talking about it for a couple years. Yes. (laughs) And we just kept circling back to it, circling back to it. I'm passionate about teaching and supporting nurses and student nurses and new grad nurses. And Steph, as an educator, has seen such a need in her students as they graduate. So Steph, tell us real quick. What our little project, our little project, it's a huge project, but tell us about our project. And then I will include some information about, about how people could get more info about that. Yes. So we are launching the Confident Nurse Academy, which is a six month nurse residency program, essentially. And we're really excited. It's going to not only include modules so that you can look at your lab values again and uh, really understand what they mean and how they apply clinically at the bedside, right? Like some some bedside knowledge type stuff. Yes, absolutely. We need that clinical, uh, in order to build our confidence, we we need the, the competence, right? That actually, yep. but, but they, so they have to go hand in hand. But one of the unique components that we're also adding in is live coaching. So we're going to have live coaching calls throughout the month, and we're going to be able to actually answer your questions and talk to you face-to-face and talk you through. And I think even even for people inside residency programs, there are some things you don't want to process at work. or At work with your yeah. coworkers. Yeah. yeah. And so it's important, again, to just have support. And I stay in touch with my new grads and just realized over the last couple of years, wow, we we need to find a way to continue to support our nurses. That is a core value of mine. It's a core value of yours. And that is that's a little bit about the the project that we're we're so excited. We're so excited. We're so excited. So if you want to get more info about joining us in this virtual new grad residency program, I believe the beta program that we're launching is going to be three months, right, Steph? But yes. it will it will expand to be six months. So depending on when you're listening to this, you know, that's all fluctuates. So um, I will put the link in the episode notes. And if nothing changes, it's confidentnurseacademy.com. So just go there. You can find all the things. And we'll be opening enrollment and starting the coaching and, and access to all the learning modules and things very, very soon. So if you're looking for support, if what Steph was, if you're picking up what Steph was putting down in this episode and the last one, and you want more of that, because she is an amazing coach and human, then you got to check it out. And then I'm doing a lot of the um, like, uh, teachy stuff about disease conditions. And Steph is brilliant on that stuff as well. She's doing some of that also. But it's that live coaching component where you get a whole bunch of nurse stuff in your life. That is absolutely priceless. So I want you to check that out. And Steph, I want to thank you so very much for coming on to the podcast today and talking our new nurses and soon-to-be new nurses through some of the things they're likely to feel, experience, and encounter and giving some, some framework and knowledge around that. So thanks. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And I'm really excited about our new grad academy. I can't wait. So I told you that was going to be really great. And yes, 
It was, right? Nurse Steph is absolutely wonderful. And I I just really loved everything that she said about nurse shock. It just took me back to my new grad days. And I wish I'd had her in my life then. It would have been a lot, a lot less bumpy for sure. So if you're interested in checking out Confident Nurse Academy, then go to confidentnurseacademy.com. All the info is there for you. We will be having open enrollment or signups available until July 4th of this year. So you have to be listening to this in real time as you're listening. And then we're going to close enrollment so that we can really focus in on our beta program participants. But then we'll open it back up again, and it will be open um, on an ongoing basis after that. So again, that's Confident Nurse Academy. Go and check that out because we want you to get the support you need. It's really tough out there for new grads right now. Transitioning from a student nurse to a real bona fide working new grad nurse is a really big deal. And we think you're a really big deal and we want to support you. So again, confidentnurseacademy.com. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me. See you again soon. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.